You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Well, how many uh, during this flu season you have you have a case of the flu that just re- refuses to fly away? I, I sort of got that. So when I take a sip of water or uh, shut my mic off and cough, how many will excuse me ahead of time? All right. Thank you. You know, every once in a while, someone will come up to me in their teens, early 20s even, and they'll say, you know, when I was a baby, you dedicated me. Often I'll tease them by saying, do you remember what I said? (laughs) Of course, they're just an infant at that time. And we're told that unless we've had a really traumatic experience in our early childhood, that we don't remember anything Uh, until we're, our earliest memories come from when we're about three years of age, we're told. But I'll tell you something that, a message that gets through to every child long before they're three years old, researchers explain sometimes it happens even from the mother's womb, and that is this, whether we're accepted or whether we are rejected, whether we're a wanted child or whether we were not wanted in this world. Now, uh, for most people, the first message that they get comes from the primary caregiver. You know, usually it's a parent, but not always. Some have been, you know, were um, adopted, raised by, uh, uh, you know, non-biological parents or an auntie, uncle, grandparent. Uh, they raised them. And, and it's that parent or primary caregiver that gave the first message about whether they are wanted or unwanted that shaped their sense of acceptance or whether they were rejected in this world starts really early. As a matter of fact, uh, I have met people in their 80s, my mom included, who can, when, when they go to do something, they will still, to this day, they're in their 80s and they will still hear the voice of their parents. Now, a lot of you, and some of you are older, and you're going like this at me already. Matter of fact, we're told that if you're over, you know, if I ask for a show of hands, how many over 60, uh, when you go to do something sometimes, or you, you know, you hear the corrective or the encouraging voice of your parents, uh, everyone would pretty well raise their hands because it's a case for every one of us. As a matter of fact, there's even a name that researchers have given to the voice that we hear more than any other one. Do you know what it's called? the scolding parent, (laughs) the scolding parent. Now, we go from childhood to our teen years, and it's there where the acceptance of peers, of friends, is highly significant. You know, a lot of our teenagers will get up tomorrow, and they'll think, what am I going to wear today? And automatically, they'll think, well, what would look cool? What would others think if I wear this? It's just automatic. And what will... uh, um, but will people think of me if I have this phone, this technology? Uh, if I put this picture on my Facebook, what would that look like? It's just, it's just it, it, that's at all ages, but at the same time, it seems to be uh, stronger during this age. I'm embarrassed to say, I was trying to think of some way to identify here, but I remember when I was in junior high, and I always did very well academically, skipped a grade, etc. So, but when I got to junior high, I discovered that it wasn't cool to be smart. Do you know what I did? I acted dumb. You say, Pastor Keith, that's dumb. Don't you say that. That's rejecting me. (laughs) 
but, but it was done. But isn't that something? Acceptance and rejection are powerful. And then uh, Facebook depression is, is an actual condition that people can get. Facebook depression. The main cause is when people on Facebook compare themselves with others. And you can get Facebook depression by comparing yourself to people who you think are better than you and people that are not so much better than you. You can get it either way. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, a researcher who travels around the world, he says, so many youth are trapped in the web, rightly called, he says, of being approved or disapproved by simple, simple symbols, you know, like. And, and then there's appearance, appearance. A lot of people, they'll decide whether they're accepted or rejected by what others think of them, how beautiful or how handsome they are. But here's the surprise, watch this, that it's the people that other people consider to be the most beautiful or handsome that struggle the most with eating disorders and a sense of security. Isn't that something? And then, and then when we hit sports, it's all performance-based. Are you gonna win? You go to university, college, it's all about success and what your marks are. You go to the workplace, it's all about performance. Performance is the biggest determinant as to whether you're going to be accepted or rejected. And so when you, when you look at all of that research that's been done about whether we're accepted or rejected, right from our child, right up to when we're an adult, if you look at all of it, and then you look at David, it's easy to come to the conclusion that David would have been the poster boy for rejection. Let me tell you why. I mean, David, right from what we know about his relationship with his dad, and we've seen it in this series, that when the prophet Samuel shows up at Jesse's house and he says, I, I want to meet all of your sons, one of them is going to be king-designate. And Jesse parades out not all eight of his sons, eight minus one. He doesn't even bother to get David. What message did that send to David? The message of that sent is that, David, you're not in the same league as the rest of your brothers. David, of all of my children, you're the most rejectable. I put you at the bottom of the list. And then, that's his dad. And then last week we saw that because he was so angry, remember when David showed up on the battlefield, Eliab just exploded with anger. You're conceited. I know how wicked your heart is. And you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. Wait, that's my mom too. You know, like he... He just, he just lashed out. And then the big moment arrives where David's before King Saul. And remember David said, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. The giant is coming down. King Saul takes one look at David, looks over at this giant veteran soldier, Goliath, takes a look at this little guy, David, and his body language says, rejected. And then his words back it up. And King Saul says to David, you are, you are not able to do this. You are not able to do this. You, you don't have what it takes. How many have been told in your life at various times, maybe at critical times, that you're not good enough? You're not smart enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not as good as someone else. You're just not enough. And then, and then of course, there's David's wife, Michal. Michal, David is celebrating a milestone occasion, the greatest day of his monarchy to date. He's bringing the Ark of the Covenant 
from a border town back to a place of centrality in Jerusalem where to make a message, we are a nation that worships the living God. And, and, and David's at the front of the parade and he's dancing and he's celebrating and he's rejoicing in God's blessing and goodness. The Bible says that his wife, by the way, what was his wife not doing there at one of the most significant days in the life of her husband and the life of her nation that she was a part of? Well, we don't know. Okay, let's say maybe she had the flu. You know what I'm But at the same time, the Bible does say more than that. The Bible says she looked out and saw David dancing and celebrating before the Lord. And the Bible says, listen to this, she despised David in her heart. She despised her husband. And David finishes up the celebration. He blessed the people. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go home. My family wasn't able to be part of this. I'm going to go home and I'm going to bless my family. You can read about it in the Bible. I'm going to go home and bless my family. Guess what greets him when he walks through the door? His wife's mocking voice. You know, you see it right from a childhood and... Boss and brother and wife, you just see it right all the way through. They all had one message for David in common, and that was, I reject you, David. I reject you, David. David, you're a reject. We reject you, David. It's, it's, it's a wonder that David didn't do what people do when they have so much rejection in their life. What, when people are rejected left and right, you know what they do? They try and find acceptance, but they'll find it almost anywhere in all of the wrong places. Why do kids join gangs? I know there's many reasons, but you know what the main reason is? Why do people who, they don't want to do drugs, but they, okay then, and they do drugs, even though they know it's destructive. They get involved sexually because there's this temporary feeling of being wanted, and, and even though that's not where they want to go with their lives, it's not what they predecided that they would do, but they go along with it. Why does this happen? I'll give you two reasons. Here's reason number one, because acceptance is very, very powerful, and rejection is very, very painful. And that's why they do it. So why did David say Goliath must fall? Why did David, where did that confidence come from? I mean, come on, he's been rejected from the womb and right through his life, words of rejection. Where did that confidence come from where he says Goliath is coming down? Where does that come from? Well, we're almost ready to tell you. I'm going to give you three steps. Wherever you are in the rejection department of your life, just to how to move forward from here. And I've been praying all week that this would be a turning point for many because I want to tell you two things before we go into the first step. And the first thing, the, the, the two things I want to tell you this. One is about it being pivotal and the other is about it being personal. It is pivotal. Listen to me. I'm only going to say it once. If you don't experience deep acceptance in your life, you're going to struggle with rejection issues for the rest of your life. That's pivotal. Secondly, it's personal. It's very personal. We are talking about a personal experience. It's not a matter of you saying, okay, I got Pastor Keith's points. You know, I didn't get them all, so I'll go on the website and get the other ones. But I got them, so now I can go into the rest of my life and not... Struggle with rejection. No, 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 no. This is more caught than taught. You need the Holy Spirit to make it real to you. 
This, this is not something that you can just sort of download intellectually. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captive, even the captive to rejection. I, I want to see people healed. You know, so all week long, I've been praying for you and all of our other people in the services this weekend. I've been saying, oh God, may this be the service, may this be the moment where people are set free from rejecting themselves and listening to the rejection voices of others. May this be the day. And it starts, with the, it starts with the decision on your part. You won't be able to go to two and three without going to the first step and making this decision. Here's the decision. Decide whose acceptance is going to matter most to you. All right? What do we mean by that? I'll, I'll tell you. We need to decide. David, listen, David would have been in big time. Where would David have ended up if he based his deepest acceptance on what his dad thought of him? Where would he be if he based his acceptance on what his brother thought of him? Where would he be if he based his acceptance on what his boss, King Saul, thought of him? Or what his wife thought of him? See, where did this confidence come from? Well, you know, we, we, we love to rhyme off what made David stand out and what was the biggest strength of his life. Matter of fact, enough of you know it, you'll help me finish this sentence. What we summarize David's life that made him so special is this. David was a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? What does that mean? To be a person who's after... Do you know what it means? It means you and God's heart are intertwined. You don't, do not, you don't do anything in life that's just on your own. It's always, God, what do you have to say about this? You live in a constant conversation with God in your heart. You don't do anything with saying, what would God think of this? What would Jesus want me to do in this situation? How did David get there? Well, thankfully, he wrote a lot of songs, and we still have the lyrics to them. 3,000 years later, they're called the Book of Psalms. Let, let, let me just, you, you'll see it here. The, the most commonly known one is, the Lord is my shepherd. So, so that came from David saying this, God, I see how much I care for my sheep, lead them to green pastures, waters, and protect them. God, just like I care for my sheep, that's how you care for me. The Lord is my shepherd. You see that? He took God to work with him. And he saw, God, you, the, way, the best that I can do here reveals to me what you're really like in my life. He just carried the conversation into the workplace. Listen, he's wandering around. He's looking at nature. He looks up in the night sky, Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. God, you've got so much going on in this entire universe. Why do you care about me? Do you see that? He just, the God of the universe, he knows my name. He cares about me. He, and then Psalm 139, he says, God, you know me. <laughs> before I say something, you know it. Before I even think it, you know it. Before I even go somewhere, you know where I'm going to go. And he says this, and I love this line. Matter of fact, it's one of his favorites. He says, and you have laid your hand on me. You've laid your hand on my life. We know that it's one of his favorites because he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. 
the fact that the God of the universe has his hand on my life. Someone should say, hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful to think of that? Well, see, David just, he just brought God right, right into his heart. It just, just intertwined together. And then he goes on to say in that same psalm, he says, you know what? From my mother's womb, you've known me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In other words, God, before my dad had a chance to reject me, you'd already accepted me. This past week, I went through a lot of the Psalms just looking for how David, he, he just seemed to just know that God accepted him so much. He was just so comfortable in his own skin. When it, came to his relation, when it came to his relationship with God. Listen to how much he trusts God. Psalm 63. He says, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. Wasn't it good to see Pastor Jonathan in that video there today? Miss that guy. Looking forward to seeing him next week. But, and what we're doing with that well. These thirsty people. David says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Listen to this. I don't even know that I've ever even said this to the Lord. He says, I cling to you. I cling to you. David even gets to a place where he says, watch this now. Don't you love it when your kid gets to a place where they know how important they are to you? Listen to David. He says to God, he says, I will love you, O Lord. You delivered me because you delighted in me. And then he says later, Psalm 18, your gentleness has made me great. He just knew that God was so accessible. God would be gentle with them, tender towards him. So it was safe to be tender towards God. Do you see that? You know, you know, sometimes I honestly wonder what someone new to a church like ours what their experience must be like when they visit us and they hear us singing songs about God. I wrote down some of the ones we're singing this morning. What does someone think when they come in and they hear us sing, ain't no mountain high enough or whatever it was there, you know, can't stop your love. <laughs> wow, okay. And then, we are yours. We are daughters. We are sons. Okay, what gets you saying that, you know? And then, and then what was that one? Can't read my own writing. Oh, yeah. God, I look to you, need your wisdom. I feel overwhelmed, don't know what to do. And then it goes on to say, I will love you, Lord my God. Now, Matt, picture a man who comes here who's never said I love you to anyone in his entire life. And you look under the hood and you find out that he's never heard anyone, especially during his childhood, say, I love you in his life. And then sing along with me, I love you, Lord my God. But it starts to make sense. You realize it's the only appropriate reaction once you realize how much God loves you and what the action plan that he had to prove his love to you. Now, there's lots of scriptures we could look at. Let's just choose one from Ephesians 1 and let's look at it together. Ephesians 1, all right? We'll walk through it a little slow and just pick up on some of the things that we want to emphasize. Even before God made the world, God... All right, now, now, now get that, get your mind around it. Before he made the world, you know, we often say, when I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. 
But this is even before he made the world. God had decided that even though he would fail, he wouldn't stop loving us. Can't stop. Anyway. God loved us and chose. He chose us in Christ to be. Now, don't let the word holy scare you. Put a W in front of it. Whole, complete. How many know holiness is nothing broken, nothing missing? It's perfect. How many know only Jesus is perfect? Only he is completely holy, but he wants to make us holy. When you, when you, when you, when you receive Jesus, you love him back and you want to be like Jesus, so you want to be holy. He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Sounds like a grandmother looking at her grandkid. Anyway, God decided in advance to, say it with me, adopt us into his own family. Let's come back to that one. Why does he use the word adopt us into his family? By bringing us to himself. How did he get us to back to himself? Restored through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. Okay, it wasn't like a backup emergency plan. He decided before the foundation of the world, this is what he was going to do. We'd mess up and he'd die to bring us back. And it gave him great pleasure to do it. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Oh, someone should say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, here's a quick takeaway from this. Before you were born, God already decided, however much you failed, he still wanted you in his family forever. Isn't that great? Wrap your mind around that one. Now, why does he choose adoption? He uses adoption. Well, the only uh, big experience I've had with my family growing up doing adoption was when we lived in St. John's, Newfoundland. And uh, it was a tragedy. It was in the news. Uh, a family's house burned down. Both parents perished in the fire, but a number of the children survived. Uh, my dad got involved and we offered to take care of one of the children. And for a while in my home, there was another uh, girl about the same age as my younger sister. I was about 10 years of age at the time. And uh, at first it seemed cool to have a, another sister in the family, you know. And then my parents said, what about adoption? Would you kids, and they met with all five of us and said, you know, what about adopting Bonnie? And so we all came to terms and said, yeah, okay, well, she could be my sister. And uh, so we all agreed, and then uh, the, the, the papers were ready to be signed, and we don't fault the grandmother of the children. You can understand, she wanted to keep the whole family together, and she changed her mind at the last minute. But as far as we as kids, we had already decided she was going to be our sister. She was already adopted. Now, see, there's something about adoption. Why does God use in the Bible the illustration of adoption to talk about you being in his family? Because you can be born in a family, right? Why does he use the word adopted? Because when you adopt someone, it's a premeditated choice. You sort of know something of what you were getting, and you say, I really want that child. I want to, I, I may know more of what I'm getting, and I adopt that child. How many understand that God knew exactly what he was getting when he got you? And he decided ahead of time, yeah, I know what's coming, and I still want that child. 
That's why he uses the illustration of adoption. So now, now look, look at Hebrews. It builds on this. Hebrews 2 says, So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy. Now Jesus is already completely holy, the only perfect one, right? Now watch this. The ones he makes holy. Guess who that is? Moi. Two? <laughs> you, you and me. He makes holy. We're the ones. So Jesus is the perfect one in the family. We're the ones that aren't. We're trying to be like Jesus. He makes holy. We have the same. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. As soon as I read that, I go back to a memory that I'm not all that proud of. It was when Bonnie, we thought she was going to become our sister, and we were already calling her our sister. But, and now I look back on it as an adult. I was 10 then. And I realized, what would I have been doing behaviorally if I had lost both my parents tragically overnight in a fire? Where, what would I be like? I just can't even imagine the impact that that kind of a loss would have had on me at an age that she was at the time. And so now I understand it, but back then I didn't understand. And Bonnie would say some of the most inappropriate things sometimes. They were embarrassing. And she'd just do some silly things. Now I look back and say, well, of course, she's working through this traumatic loss in her life. But I remember we were with a group of friends, and, and there's Bonnie, and she says one of these inappropriate things. I turned to my friends, and I said, you know, she's not really my sister. <laughs> I was in tears one day when I read this verse, and I thought of Bonnie, because... I'm here. I'm being made holy, which means I still mess up. I still say dumb things. I still do stupid things. I'm being made holy. And when I do say dumb things and say stupid things, he's still not ashamed to call me his brother or sister. Isn't he something? Just the depth of commitment, the loyalty he has to us. I told you this is more caught than taught. Emotional healing is part of the package here. Do you see Jesus that way? Do you see God? Listen, if God the Father was up here today and he opened his arms to you, what would you do? Would you say, oh, no, I've got to take care of some things first. I, would, you, would you start rejecting yourself? Or would you move towards your loving Heavenly Father? Would you let the rejection of others in the past sort of just drown out the summons of the Heavenly Father? Or would you just trust him? Do you know him well enough just to move towards him? You know, every weekend um, before the first Sunday morning service, there's a group of all the volunteers and pastors that are going to be involved in the morning services. We get together out here in the south lobby. So there's about 30 of us or maybe more, I don't know. But on the far side of the circle last weekend, um, because my daughter-in-law was involved in the service and she's hanging on to her two little sons, Reuben and uh, Levin, and, uh, and I didn't even see him. I didn't even see him. I'm way over on the other side, right outside the door there, on this side of the circle. And uh, partway through, I, I looked up and, and saw this little one-year-old. Better get over there. 
little one-year-old coming as fast as his little legs would carry him. And I realized he's coming for me. He saw his poppy and he's coming for me. And so I, and he comes and he reaches up his arms and I protect my back. I've learned how to do it. And I went down and, and picked him up. I told Esther when I got home, I said, you know what I love the most about that? Is that Levin didn't, before he even left this side of the circle to find Poppy, he already knew he would be accepted when he got there. He didn't think, I'm going to get over there and put my hand on. Who knows? He may accept me. He may reject me. Didn't occur to him. He knew he would be accepted. And dear one, that is the kind of acceptance your heavenly Father wants you to sense is yours in the deepest part of your heart. I'm accepted. I may mess up sometimes. I may fall down on the way of following Jesus, but I get back up again, and He is holy. I am not. I'm heading for His holiness. Oh, first of all, dear one, I, we're saying to you today, that you need to decide where your deepest acceptance is going to come from. And then the second step is this. Live from that acceptance, not for acceptance. Amen? Don't live for somebody. Listen, my wife, I couldn't have a more devoted wife. I've had a wonderful family, supportive I've had a wonderful childhood. I have great children. And don't get me talking about my grandchildren. I have so many people in my life. I have you as my church family. What more could anyone ever want? But listen, I will get into trouble the moment I try to make anybody other than God the source of my acceptance. Because how many know they'll be gone or they'll let me down? And so I get into trouble when, I, when I, anyone else other than the Lord is my source. Listen, they, my wife, my family, you good people, you can add to my acceptance, but you never can be my acceptance. The Lord is the one that accepts me. Only God has what it takes to provide acceptance at the deepest level of my heart and soul. Only He has what it takes. Dear one, do not try and outsource your sense of acceptance by trying to get a spouse or a job or a friend to try and be what only only God can be in your life. He alone has what it takes to be your source. So we live from that. Can you imagine if David went out to the battlefield thinking about how his dad rejected him and his brother and all the other people significant? Like, no, 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 no. David, before the writer of this book, helps us understand this. It's a great point that before David arrived on the battlefield, he was already knowing that he was accepted by God. Now, can you imagine going into every day of your future life with the acceptance box already ticked off? Acceptance is a done deal for me when I go into a new day because God has already accepted me. He gave his life for me in the person of his son. You can't get any more accepted than that. And so I go into every day. I live from acceptance. I don't go around trying to find in other people what can only be found in God. I have his acceptance. I love that about David, that David goes to uh, 
King Saul and call, King Saul says, no, 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 you, you're a little wimp. You can't go up against this giant. And then David says, yeah, but my God has helped me overcome. And okay, you're basically the only option we have anyway. And he says, but listen, if you're going to go and face the giant, look the part. Put my armor. I'll give you my own armor to put on. And you can imagine this little guy, David, putting on big Saul's armor, Right? He puts on this great big helmet, and you hear this echoing voice inside the helmet. How do I know it was that big? Because, well, the Bible says that King Saul's biggest problem was his pride, so he had a swollen head, so he needed a big helmet. So, so they put this big helmet, and you hear this echoing voice inside them saying, I cannot go in these, go in these, go in these, go in these. <laughs> David had just been told, listen, you've got to dress for success. If you're going to be more successful, you need to wear this. I mean, the military are all standing around with King Saul. They're saying, if you're going to be accepted on the battlefield, listen to us. You got to look like this. David's under pressure to do what everyone else wanted. I love that David said, I'm not somebody else. I cannot go in these. He's saying, I've already been accepted. I don't need your acceptance. I've been accepted by my God. I cannot go in these. I must be who I really am. I love that kind of uh, um, sense of being armed with God's acceptance. You know, there's a few days ago that Esther and I parked our car in the underground of our parking of our condo on a day that it really snowed. And so we, we parked our car there. No snow to shovel. And we... Sorry. And we met the next door neighbor, and she has a little dog. I mean, on top of a little, the size of a shoe. You mean, you gotta worry about stepping on that thing anytime he's around. So, anyway, Esther's there. Oh, and outside the elevator, oh, sweet little dog. She's patting him, and the dog's so happy. His tail is wagging, his tongue is lolling. Is that the word? Anyway, he was doing it. And, and, and then on the elevator, the dog's so happy to see Esther and all happy, happy, happy. We get up to our floor and we get off the elevator. Happy, happy dog, happy dog. And then we go down the hallway. Happy dog, happy dog. And then, and then, and then he, he suddenly gets to a place in front of his door. He turns around and he goes, <laughs> he growled at Esther. I think every one of us need to be a little bit like that dog. You know, he's just like, you know, no more little nice dog, you know. This far and no further. Every one of us need to have a little bit of that in us. Where we say, oh, you're pressuring me to do this, to wear this, to drink that, to be that, to think that, to do that, to Facebook this. No, 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 no. Hold on here. I know. I know where my property line ends. <laughs> I know who I belong to. I belong to Jesus. And I live from His acceptance, not for yours. And we can be kind and we can speak the truth in love, but how many know we can say, this is where I stand. I stand in who Jesus Christ has saved me to be. Amen? And so we stand. You need to have some of that. And then third. Here's the third step. Third step is this. Utilize a voice replacement system for attempted rejections. As I soothe my voice, 
utilize a voice replacement system for attempted rejections. Now, first of all, let's see how David did it, and then we'll see how we can do it, all right? David, remember, he, he was hurting years later by the rejection of his parents. We know this because he wrote about it in Psalm 27. But watch how he acknowledges the pain, but then he replaces it with what God says. Watch this, Psalm 27:10. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. He's saying, God, your receiving of me is greater than my parents' rejection of me. Do you see that? And then we saw last week that his brother Eliab, who was indicative of the rest of David's brothers who rejected him, we saw that even when David became king, what did David do for his brother? Gave him a job in the military. In other words, he overcame evil with good. He didn't, he didn't just respond with the same, you know, last back of the rejection. That, I'm going to reject you because you rejected me. No. No, David responded with kindness the way God had treated him. Now, in, his, in, in the workplace, Saul's voice, you, you're not able to do this, David. You're not able to do this. I don't believe in you, David. He basically just stands there and says, that's all right. He's not even phased. He says, God believes in me. And look how God has helped me with the lion and the bear. I can take on this giant. Where did that confidence come from? See, he, he took what was said to him, and he replaced it with what God would say about that situation. It's what he did every time. I, I, I love the way he summarizes his philosophy here in the Psalms. Listen to how he says it. He says, I set the Lord always before me. I'm always carrying God and what he thinks in my heart. His voice is more important to me than anybody else's. And if someone says something, I replace their voice. I'll even drown out their voice with what he has to say about me and this situation. And he drowned out rejection with the voice of God's acceptance. Now, what voices in your mind that need to be replaced? I'm going to give a sampling examples. But I'm not going to cover every situation. I'll give you enough so you'll sort of see how this works. But how many, how many were told right from when you were a child... And the words haunt you to this day that you weren't even wanted. It's, it's a lot of people that were told that. You know, John 15, 16, you know what Jesus says? He says, you did not choose me. I chose you. I chose you. Jesus, the Son of God, who made the whole thing, he chose me. He chose me. You know, if your family or friend rejects you, and they say demeaning things, you mess up and they just pounce on you. You know, listen to me. Just remember this. Never forget this. Just replace that voice with, Jesus, you're not ashamed to call me family. You're not ashamed to call me family. You never give up on me, Jesus. You'll always accept me. No one wants you? Too late. I've already been adopted. I've already been adopted. Permanently into God's forever family. And I cannot tell you, I don't know how to, in a couple of moments, even articulate what's in my heart here because of what I've gone through with people. But how I detest the voices from the one who Jesus calls the father of lies. And he usually, like a typical vulture, who gets his power from destroying and killing and stealing. He, 
those voices come and that we're especially vulnerable when we're going through depression. And, you know, I'm not talking about having a bad day, although it's true there too, but people, you know how we have a liver and we have, um, uh, you know, we have lungs and we have a brain. How many know they're all organs? And sometimes all you need to fix them is to do a chemical change. And, you know, long before Bell Must Talk, we were already teaching for as long as I've been teaching that... Uh, that so many times we just need to be there. If somebody's already down, we don't kick the mother down, right? We help them get up. And so whatever the healing, wherever the need is for healing, whether it's the organ called the brain or the organ called the, the lungs or, or, or any part of them, we, we, we pray. We, pr we accept and we pray and we help them move forward. Healing. But, but when someone has a depression due to a chemical in, imbalance or they have, they're really down and depressed because of a rejection of a friend, or a job loss, that's a rejection, or of a spouse, or of their rejection of their children. They're already down. If you can believe this, there's a being that gets his jollies out of kicking people while they're down. He's the destroyer. It's what he wants, that's how he gets his power, his strength, by destruction. And how I hate to hear the experiences of people that when they're already down and they hear voices like this, well, your life is not worth living. People are better off without you anyway. Why don't you just end it all? Listen, how many understand that lie needs to be replaced with this truth that I have a God who values me so much, not because he had to, but because he loved me. He left heaven to come to earth to die in my place so I not only could be forgiven here, but he wants to be with me for all eternity. That's the truth. That is the truth about you. I, I, I never forget the day I was in my early 20s, and this guy was, uh, he looked old to me then. He was around 60. Now, believe me, now it's not very old at all. But anyway, <laughs> he and his wife came to see me. And, 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 and he had his hand on his wife. He says, Pastor Keith, I've never told anybody this before. But, uh, and he was an elder and on the prayer team. He said, you know, whenever you call the prayer team to come forward, or whenever you ask me to do something as an elder, he said, Pastor Keith, you have no idea the battle that I go through in my mind. With I hear these voices from my past just putting me down, telling me, who do you think you are to be an elder or praying for somebody else? You have so many. And just these voices would just keep... We, we got into it. When we looked under the hood, we found that even from a child, he was rejected by his own parents. And he would hear the voices, and they just followed him all the way through his life. Do you know what I did? I sat with him that day, and you could sense the Holy Spirit in the room just helping guide us. And, and basically, I didn't call it this, but we had a voice replacement system. I said, well, what are some of the main things that you hear when you're asked to do something to help someone else in Jesus' name? And he would, he would say, well, I hear, I hear this, these kinds of voices. And so then we would find a Bible verse to replace that voice with. How many know where I'm going here? And then the next one, and we found another Bible verse. I encourage you to do this because this voice replacement system works because how many know greater is he within you than anything that's in the world? And he is the one who has truth that will set you free and it will renew your mind. It'll make your mind new, this voice replacement. And I'll never forget because God healed him that day. 
healed him, so much so that he became the, the go-to guy for new Christians in our church, and we had hundreds of them coming to Jesus. And he, was the, the, he and his wife were the spiritual mom and dad. I can't imagine what would have happened to all the good things that happened if he had listened to the voice of rejection instead of the voice of God's acceptance. And God wants to do the same for you. But it means this. You're going to have to decide. You're going to have to decide, first of all, whose acceptance is going to matter most in your life. How many are looking around at a spouse or a family or a kid or a friend or a job to find your acceptance? How many understand they don't have what it takes? Only God does. So decide whose acceptance matters most to you. And then live from that acceptance, not for anybody else's except they can accept you, can they reject you? It's a done deal. You're already accepted by God. Stand your ground. Don't growl. <laughs> but stand your ground. And then utilize. When those moments of attempted rejection come up, utilize that voice replacement system. Amen? Let's pray together about this. God, thank you for accepting us as we are and then making us holy, making us more like you, Jesus. We want that to happen. Lord, I pray especially for people in this room who need your healing, the brokenhearted, those that have been stepped on and bruised in life by people's treatment and comments. In the deepest place in their heart today, drown out any words of rejection with your love. Let them know they are chosen, they are forgiven, and they are free. They are adopted. Even now as we sing a song to you, Lord, we're looking to you. We know where our deepest acceptance comes from. It comes from you. So we look to you, Lord. Heal us as we turn to you. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.